0: Um, let me start off by saying that uh, if for some reason you happen to miss class or you want to catch up on class, you can find our class recordings on our church website. and so there's uh, there's a link. I think it's uh, under like quick links or something like that. you can uh, just hunt around and find you know sermons and classes and you'll find our sermons from Sunday mornings and this class they're all in different series. It should be pretty easy to. To get to, um, so if you happen to miss a week, you can uh, you can check those out pretty easily. Um, let me start off with uh, this question, get us thinking a little bit. Have you ever been excluded from some group that you wanted to be a part of? See some chuckles. <laughs> Maybe that's hitting. I didn't know it was going to hit so close to home. <laughs> okay. Are we? Bra- <laughs> that's a, a fair, a fair point there. All right. Have, so just, just think about this. All right. Don't need details, but just think. Have you ever been excluded from some group that you wanted to be a part of? Maybe you should have asked. if you, have you, have you ne- never been that? Why can that be hurtful? Assuming that it is, maybe that's begging the question. But let's assume that it is hurtful. Why can that be hurtful? Well, Self confidence, yeah. When you get used to doing something, being around people and all of a sudden they're gone. They're gone. It, it hurts. It makes you it might make you wonder, did I do something? Yeah. You start being very introspective after that. Mm. Yeah, it can be introspective making you wonder, it's like, okay, did I reassess the way it. you've been living maybe or, or yeah. who you are. Yeah, very true. This is this is uh, in my experience I was divorced 17 years ago. Mm. We had a great couple of friends. Now and whenever we got divorced, they they didn't stop saying hi and hello, but inviting me here and inviting me there. uh, Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, Yeah, that can hurt. Mills, why can that be hurtful? Basically, exclusion. Why can that be hurtful? Ralph, and then. uh... Um, Well, if if you want to be associated with. Value or some worth that you see in that. Ah, yeah. And if you're excluded, then you don't have that worth. Yeah. Or you might not feel like you have that worth. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. William? Well, I was kind of going a little different direction. That's fine. God made us to be social creatures. He made Adam. Yeah. Hey, Adam, you want somebody to hang out with, right? (laughs) I I think that's how how the NIV translates it. (laughs) So, Yeah. Well, and that might, that might also speak to uh, value. Like, a, a, Am I myself not valued by others? It, it is interesting there. In, in Genesis 1, the only thing that God says is not good is that the lone human is alone. Seven times, not surprising, right? Seven times God pronounces something is good or very good. The only time when God said, this is not good... As one as a single solitary human being. Yeah. So God has made us to value that kind of social togetherness. Yeah. Yeah. An of Yeah. Like we said most of us in here have been parents or still are parents Mm -hmm. and and there's different ways to discipline our our kids and one of the things that we can't all discipline discipline them the same because they have different uh, personalities but some some kids just hate the isolation, they time out, you're by by yourself now, you're not with a family anymore Mm -hmm. and so you're excluded and you're taken away and so that has a great impact on on, our team because with the yeah, a good point. It can, uh, exclusion in one way or another can cause us to maybe question our values, question our abilities. You know, I, did I not deserve to to fit in this group? Um, yes, that it it can happen that way. In the world of the Bible, particularly the world of the New Testament, there were many people who were attracted to Judaism to varying degrees. People who are not born within the covenant, right? People who are not born Jews. But there are many people who are attracted to Judaism to varying degrees, but for one reason or another, they did not fully convert. Turn with me to Acts chapter 10, book of Acts chapter 10. We will look at uh, just a few verses in Acts. This group shows up all over the place. group of people who are... um, sometimes called God-fearers or worshippers of God, but you can tell by reading between the lines a little bit in the book of Acts that they're not fully converts to Judaism. So we'll hit a few verses in Acts, and then we'll, um, <clears throat> we'll, get, down to, um, we'll get down to our text in Ephesians in just a little bit. First couple of verses here in Acts chapter 10, verses uh, 1 and 2. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now, I'm reading from the ESV there in verse 2 that says a devout man who feared God. I'm curious, what do some of y'all's, what do some of y'all's other translations say there in verse 2? He and his family were Devout and God-fearing. Yeah, that's a good way to, uh, that's a good way to do this. I- anybody else? Just, uh, just kind of get a sense of what Luke is saying about Cornelius. Well, it says that he was good and uh, that he was generous and gave to those Yeah, yeah. All things that were highly respected within Judaism. A God-fearing man who is still not a full convert to Judaism. That is what's being described here a man who feared in the sense right in the biblical sense right respected honored and so forth a man who in some way worshiped the god of the Jews though he himself was not a full convert to Judaism now turn with me to acts chapter 16 verse 12 acts chapter 16 verse 12 <clears throat> paul has uh, met up with Luke. Acts chapter 16 begins the uh, parts where Luke himself is an eyewitness to these accounts. You can tell there's a shift in the language. Luke stops saying, and Paul went here, and Paul did that, and they said this, to, and we went here, and we did this, and we said this. So there's a shift in the language. Luke is an eyewitness here. Acts chapter 16, verse 12. And from there, we went to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, Um, this is the same kind of language that we see in Acts chapter 10 to describe Cornelius, someone who's not a full convert to Judaism, but is still there praying. And, you know, they, a group of Jewish men or, Jew, uh, you know, or believers in Jesus find her and others there outside the city. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17 now. Acts chapter 17... Take a look at verse 4, make sure that that's right, yeah, Acts chapter 17, verse 4, it says uh, Paul is here, he is, um, he's in Thessalonica, which is not very far away from Philippi, it's just the next chapter over, so next town over. And some of them, some of the people that Paul were talking to, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks. That word devout there is a synonym for this word that's being used to describe people like Cornelius and people like Lydia. Devout Greeks. Uh, Skip down to verse 17. Same chapter. Chapter 17, verse 17 now. Paul uh, is now <clears throat> in Athens. He is uh, arguing in the synagogue in the, you know, for Jesus being the Messiah. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. Same word as in verse 4. There is a group of people who are attracted to uh, Judaism. Turn with me now to chapter 18, verse 7. Chapter 18, verse 7 we will see the same kind of people uh, early, Paul doing the same kind of thing. Chapter 18, verse 7, Paul is now here in Corinth, and it says, and he left there and went to the house. After he has some some arguments in the synagogue, he says, he left there and went to the house of a man named uh, Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue probably the same kind of person if this is a, if uh, if Titus Justice here is a, is Jewish that's an odd way to specify that by saying a worshiper of God I think this is Luke's term for saying here's another person who is attracted to Judaism to some degree but for whatever reason he has not fully converted well, these guys show up everywhere men and women they show up everywhere in the book of Acts I've just given us four examples right there if, uh, if you cared, I could show you a bunch of actual inscriptions in stone from the ancient world where groups like this show up. And so this group of people existed in the ancient world, which is one of the reasons why I think Paul's missionary journeys were so successful. There were so many uh, non-Jewish persons, Greeks, Romans, pagans, who had some knowledge of Judaism already there, already there. But the question is, why might someone choose not to convert fully to Judaism in the ancient world? Rory, Rory, you cracked a smile. You you got something for us? Uh, Physical pain. Uh, (laughs) Yes. Yes. What uh, what is that? uh, What kind of pain are they trying to avoid there? Circumcision, Circumcision, right? Uh, Any uh, Robin Hood uh, Men in Tights fans? Who's brave enough to admit it? Mel Brooks. What, pray tell, is circumcision? Okay. All right, those of you who got it, got it. I appreciate that. Um, Circumcision was obviously uh, something that uh, not a lot of uh, adults were interested, not a lot of adult men were interested in for obvious reasons. What else were Jews known for that might be somewhat off-putting in the ancient world? Hey, there it is. Roy, who knew you were such an expert on ancient Judaism? Did Mark teach a class on that? <laughs> They're food laws, right? Show of hands, how many of you like bacon? Okay, all right. How many of you are avoiding bacon because your doctor has a special diet for you? Okay, we don't have to do that. All right, yeah. It's none of his business. It's none of it. <laughs> Food laws were a big issue there are a lot of strange food laws a lot of strange other customs and rituals and things like that that uh, some people appreciated some people really appreciated the morality of Judaism the fact that you that your God expected you husband to remain faithful to your wife and to treat her honorably that's not something that pagan gods and goddesses really cared about one God too that sure simplifies a lot of things yeah, that really does. Ryan, did you have a point a minute ago? Yeah, they, to avoid it was the political power. The Jews were known as a rebellious people in the Roman Empire. Ah, another good point. Yeah, sometimes they could be uh, difficult. Yeah. Paul, in the book of Ephesians, which if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 now, you can. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. That's where we'll be here in a minute. Paul, in Ephesians, writes to a group, writes <coughs> to a mixed group of believers composed of Jewish believers in Jesus and Gentile believers who may have been attracted to Judaism in varying degrees, like we saw in the book of Acts, and maybe even other Gentiles who had been deeply immersed in paganism. And by God's grace, when the gospel got hold of them, they said, hey, I'm ready for a change. I'm ready for a change. One of my professors has written this, and I really like this um, simple quote from him. He says, Most ancient Jewish people believed that non-Jews could never fully could never participate in the fullness of the covenant without circumcision. Although they could be saved by keeping some basic commandments. To be circumcised was to be grafted into the community of Israel to become part of God's covenant people. By the way, Jewish circumcision only pertains to male circumcision. There is a practice known as female circumcision, which is a a horrific and brutal practice that was never never sanctioned within uh, the old covenant. Most ancient Jewish people believed that non-Jews could never participate in the fullness of the covenant without circumcision, although they could be saved, by keeping some basic commandments. To be circumcised was to be grafted into the community of Israel to become part of God's covenant people. Now, here's the thing, though. God anticipated all kinds of people being saved through Abraham. Not just Abraham's literal family, which gets mentioned there in Genesis chapter 12. Not just Abraham's literal family. Paul says that this salvation available to all people is accomplished in jesus that is whatever divided jew and gentile has been completed by jesus's work and the point of this salvation is to bring together a humanity that enjoys union with god in a way that prior to jesus was never available That's the point of Ephesians chapter two, verses eleven through twenty-two, and that's what we're going to read together now. So, So, say that again, Mike. Yes, yes, and it's that is completed to perfection in Jesus, and that's what Paul mentions here. Turn with me, Ephesians chapter two, verse eleven. We'll start. uh, We'll start here. Ralph, yeah. Were they baptized and also into the Jewish faith? I know today Jews, like in the case of an adoption, they baptize that baby to wash away the sin of being born by a Gentile mother. Yeah, that's a good question. There is, um, there is, in as best we can tell from the ancient world. Uh, when someone, when a when a non-Jewish person wanted to become, b- embrace the Jewish religion, uh, convert, there is evidence that they were immersed, they were baptized, what we would call baptized. It makes a lot of sense then that you know baptism is adopted by Christians, by Jesus himself, as a way of ushering people into this new covenant. That he's establishing baptism also gets um, Christian baptism takes that a step further where you're right in a Jewish idea if someone wants to become Jewish the the cleansing with the water the bathing with the water is this kind of a symbolic way of them being washed because of their repentance from their pagan idolatry and now they're now they've repented at which point God forgives them but Christian baptism gets uh, loaded with even more meaning than that, particularly in Romans chapter six, where Paul identifies our baptism as the way in which we participate in Jesus' death, burial and resurrection. And it, it graphs on really nicely there, that you know, as Jesus was died and went under the surface and then was raised to new life, so we die in a sense in the waters of baptism we're buried under the surface of the waters and then are raised to new life yeah so ralph good uh, good comment there um ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 paul again remember is speaking to a group of uh, mixed uh, a mixed group an ethnically and you know in terms of religious background a, a mixed group of people who were jewish believers in jesus Gentile believers, uh, Gentile uh, people who are attracted to Judaism and, and people who are converted totally out of paganism. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. And I hope you hear those air quotes around there. Your Bible might even have quotes in there called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure which is joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for god by the spirit man i love that imagery there at the end of it especially in a world that had temples everywhere all right if you've ever driven downtown or just around corpus or any other place that's in what you might consider the south and there are churches everywhere there were temples everywhere, just like that in the ancient world, and for Paul to use this language of "you are a living, breathing temple for your God," man, that's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful and incredibly powerful language. He 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 does mention living water. Yeah, I don't, Gavin. I don't remember specifically a discussion about living temples. But it is, uh, there is a connection there with you know, an, an, an entity or a substance that we might not think is living that gets used as, um, as kind of a, a metaphor for the new life available in Christ. Take a look at verses 11 and 12. Pretty, uh, pretty straightforward question here. What were you like outside of Christ? According to verses 11 and 12. Unclean, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Separated, yep. Anything else? Having no hope. hope. Man, hope is such a powerful thing. Yeah. What else? Excluded from citizenship. Excluded from citizenship, yep. Yeah. Lost. Lost, mm hmm. The language that. I've got here in the ESV is uh, here in verse twelve, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers of the covenants of promise. Now you might think, why is covenants plural there? It's the it's the one. It's the the old covenant, right? Well if you read carefully through the old testament there are a couple of covenants that get mentioned right there's a covenant with abraham there's a covenant with moses there's a covenant with david okay there's even you have to read between the lines a little bit but there is also kind of a covenant with with adam but that's another conversation for another time so that's why he specifies covenants plural but he uses. take a look at verse 12 here um my ver- my versions say uh commonwealth Of Israel what uh, what do some of y'all's translations say there excluded from the citizenship of Israel okay yeah that's uh, that's what the NIV says anybody have anything else uh, different Commonwealth of citizenship this is a political term actually this is the word where we get our word politics from related to that Greek term this is a this is kind of a civic word Paul was saying you don't have the rights of citizens which if you can remember acts chapter 16 that's the first time where paul plays his roman citizenship card when they put him when they beat him and imprison him falsely without any with anything related with anything resembling due process paul later says hey guys you can't do that to me i'm a roman citizen and then that's when the governors panic there in philippi like oh no please sir please exit our city peacefully it's like yeah aliens yes all language that uh, that we're familiar with that's how you were that's how you were in christ and if you you want to look at it in like covenantal terms or maybe civic terms that's how paul describes that alienated you, you you were not citizens but then look at what he says here in verse 11. Why does Paul specify a circumcision that is made by hands? What is the point of him saying that? Everyone would know what he's talking about. It's like a man-made law. A man-made law. Paul emphasizes that this is something that man does. But what's ultimately important is what God does. an interesting way to put it yeah paul has a similar uh, comment or he kind of spells this out a little bit more you don't have to turn there but if you're in the habit of like writing and taking notes in your bible romans chapter 2 verse 29 is a good cross reference paul says but a jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit not by the letter his praise is not from man but from god paul says true circumcision which by the way if you want to if you want to you know it, we're all aware of what literal circumcision is paul uses that in a figurative way the removal of something to set one apart for god that's how the new testament begins to use circumcision in a figurative way. Now, it can obviously mean literal circumcision as well at times, but that's not exclusively a New Testament idea because elsewhere in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Let me find that passage. Where am I? Oh, okay. I was three verses off. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Again, if you like taking notes in your Bibles, here's another good cross reference for you. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Sometimes it's easy to uh, characterize the Old Testament as, oh, it's just concerned about the externals, right? The external law, make sure you do all these sacrifices right. But the New Testament's where we get the good stuff about God wanting your heart Friends, let me encourage us to read our Old Testaments more carefully because that is a gross mischaracterization of the Old Testament. The fact that the two greatest commandments refer to loving the Lord and loving your neighbor come from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And if I said it once, I've said it a hundred times. Nobody loves Leviticus here as much as I do. Okay. 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 I am going to teach a class on Leviticus someday. Mark? Front row, man. Either front row (laughs) but these passages have kind of a you know the the fact that Paul specifies made by hands can uh, have kind of a negative connotation in Acts chapter 7 there's a guy by the name of Stephen Mm -hmm. Stephen is accused of um, breaking the law or something it's kind of a lynch mob that comes after him And Stephen goes through and he recounts ancient Israel's history, always highlighting the points where the people have refused to obey and listen to God. They have rejected God. And then finally, look at what uh, you can listen to what Stephen says here in Acts chapter 7, verse 48. He's talking about God and he says, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by what? Hands, made by human hands. This idea of something that's made by human hands goes all the way back to, you guessed it, Leviticus, where the people were told not to worship idols and statues that were made by what? Hands. There has long been an emphasis in Jewish history on what God does how God works to operate and to cleanse his people, and not on what man does. Take a look here at verse 13. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 13. Let me pull that back up. Ephesians 2, verse 13. Christ Jesus has come, uh, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Instead of the blood of circumcision. Instead of the blood of circumcision, yeah. It's neat how he's making that distinction mm-hmm. between even though it was a Jewish law, it was a law that, that maybe they could keep that one because once you've done it, you've done it. Sure. So much of the other law they couldn't keep. That. Right. Good point, Mike. And Kevin, just as we talk about circumcision and circumcision of the heart, can't we talk about baptism and immersion of your heart in the mm-hmm. blood of Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's something that we sometimes can Paul, uh, in, in several points in Paul's letters, That's precisely what he emphasizes there in Romans 2. He also mentions it in Galatians as well, that your your circumcision counts for nothing if, if you do not truly love God. Your baptism is equally unimpressive if you do not love God. Yeah. Why does Paul mention blood here in verse 13? What what would that remind a jewish audience of sacrifices. sacrifices that's right how often did jews have to go offer sacrifices <laughs> yeah sacrifices were offered daily um on the day of atonement how how often did that happen yearly every year what was so special then about Jesus' sacrifice It was it was the sacrifice there's all these other sacrifices that continually you know continually were were viewed at the time as effective but they had to be rehearsed every year and then on along comes Jesus and offers the sacrifice that is finally effective fully and completely And so Paul, to an audience that would have seen sacrifices day in and day out, because temples, whether the Jewish temple in Jerusalem or any temple anywhere else, usually served as some kind of, uh, doubled as some kind of butcher shop, or they had a butcher shop right next to it. So everybody would have been aware of that. They would have known precisely what the blood of Christ meant there in, uh, in this passage. There's a lot more that we could mention, but I want to... We're going to skip a couple of things here um, because there's, there's, there's a lot in here. Um, let's take a look at verse 19 and following. So verses 19 through 22. Paul uses a few uh, different metaphors, a few different figures for what the family of God is like. And that's actually one of them. Take a look at verse 19 here. Uh, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, right? No longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow what? Citizens, citizens or just citizens. Yeah. Fellow citizens with the saints. And what's the next thing he says? Members, members, members of the household of God. It's two different metaphors there that explain that expresses a single but important truth, our union with God. That's what God has always wanted. From creation, that's what God wanted. The fact that God was walking through the garden when he was looking for Adam and Eve. So he knew what what they did. Um, But the fact that he was there in the garden with them created a special garden within this beautiful place to be with them the fact that he you know went through and picked out a family and then you know, gave uh, gave a series of covenants to demonstrate how particularly he was going to be with that family and then when Matthew, Gospel of Matthew comes along and Jesus is called Emmanuel, what does Emmanuel mean? Oh, God with us. Because that's what he's always wanted. That's what he's always wanted. And what, what an appropriate day for us to highlight the fact that God wants us with us on Mother's Day. Mine's a thousand miles away. Some of y'all's might not be with us anymore. Some of yours might be a phone call away. Some might be off to Florida visiting family. I texted David earlier. You know, it's something good. Union. Togetherness. What a day to think about that. Well, that's precisely what Paul is driving home here. You're, you're a citizen now. You enjoy the full rights of a citizen, okay? You enjoy the full rights of a citizen in the greatest kingdom in all of eternity, the kingdom of God. And not only that, it's not that you're just in—you're not just a citizen, right? But you're having to live far off by the wall, like you're you're family with the king. You're, a f- you're in the family. And, by the way, you're even closer than that here in verse 21 and 22. The whole structure is being joined together, and it grows into a holy temple. We don't normally talk about buildings, right, as growing But the kind of language that Paul uses here for growth is the kind of language that Jesus would use when he talks about seeds that grow. This is organic language. Normally we talk about building a building, right? I mean, that's what we would use, or constructing, some other synonym like that. But this is a living, living, breathing temple. So not only are you in the kingdom, not only are you a member of the family, you are, you're part in the very structure in which God himself dwells. And that shouldn't surprise us if we know some, of other, some other things that Paul says, like in 1 Corinthians. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? elsewhere that's chapter 1 Corinthians 3:16 another famous 3:16 in the bible elsewhere in chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 Paul says don't you know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit within you whom you have from god you are not your own you're bought with a price so honor god with your body and lastly For those of you who are kind enough to join us for my Revelation class last quarter, one of the very last descriptions of the people of God in the entire Bible comes from Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. John sees no temple in the new heaven and new earth, in the new creation, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the lamb that there's no longer any need in the new creation there's no longer any need to separate off sacred holy space from profane regular common space because there will be no profane regular common space anymore the fact that it will all be holy and sacred and we'll be there dwelling intimately with god finally fulfilling the very thing that he wanted all the way back in genesis 1 guys paul says that that is us now that's us now not fully there right because jesus hasn't come back but but this union with god where we are in god and god is in us this mutual indwelling as uh, one new testament professor says that's us now again your christian life is so much more right than just man i hope i I hope I don't cuss at the guy who cuts me off today, and that'll be a good day for me. Maybe baby steps, okay? Maybe baby steps, right? It's so much more than that. It's the recognition of this extraordinary spiritual power that we have to overcome evil, and this recognition of this extraordinary status we have of citizens of the kingdom, members of the family of God, and you and I are part of that temple for God himself. He's in us. And we're in him. We're already there, but not all the way. And let that encourage you. What's that, Gavin? Already, but not yet. Yeah. Now, but not yet. Now, but not fully. That's us. That's us right now. Christian life is incredibly powerful. Incredibly rich. We just need to realize that sometimes. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we're grateful for our time together. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. Thank you for your Son. God, we ask that you will continually remind us that we have this extraordinary status by your grace in your Son, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we are citizens of your kingdom, we're members of the family, members of the royal family of God. And that we dwell intimately and closely with you already, even though as we wait the fullness of what that will be like in the new creation when Christ returns. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Happy Mother's Day. See y'all later.